right now on Higher Journeys with Alexis Brooks. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Higher Journeys. So glad you could join me today. Well, listen, when it comes to talking about both the nuts and bolts of the contact phenomenon, as well as the experiential and bridging those with science, I have never talked to someone so unique, learned, and humble in this regard as the guest that you're about to hear from, Barry Littleton. Barry's been on the show. This will be his third time uh, talking with us. And we, at this point, have covered the gamut of his own experiential journey when it comes to the contact phenomenon. Barry Littleton is not just an experiencer. I would dare say he is a true um, scientist when it comes to trying to parse and understand the technology that may be involved in both powering what we call craft, UFO craft, as well as the consciousness of non-human intelligence. And uh, today is no exception what you're about to hear. He goes really into a lot of uh, detail that I have to admit was way over my head. I try to hold on with <laughs> with a, a thin a thin thread, but uh, nonetheless, very intriguing. So I hope you will tune in uh, for this, my third interview with Barry Littleton. He also will be sharing a very uh, poignant and quite frightening that ended ended up good, fortunately, in the end, uh, experience that he had while he was over in Australia. So tune in to my interview with Barry Littleton. Here it is. I can't believe it's been nearly a year last August, to be exact, when Barry Littleton was last on the show. I've been thinking about you, Barry, so much. And we recently had a chance to come back into contact after both of us were in Australia together, but didn't get a chance to see each other. I just got filled in on all and you're going to fill in the journey years actually as to quite the ordeal that you went through. And I think it's important that we start with that because of uh, the miracle that ensued while you were there. But before we do, I just like to welcome you back to Higher Journeys for the third time. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alexis. It's a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate it. I'm very honored. Well, you've had quite a year. I would say that yours has had everything in there, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. You you spent a, a, probably a lot longer than you had planned in uh, Down Under in Australia. And right on the heels of that, when you flew back to the States, you were at the Conscious Life Expo. So you've had quite a year. I want to congratulate you, by the way, because I you just said to me offline that, you know, Alexis, I wasn't really trying to be in front of a whole bunch of people talking about my experiences. And there were certain people that kind of twisted my arm. And I, I think you felt that it was time to come out and talk. And I'm so glad that you did. But uh, oh, thank you. Thank as a you. tribute to you, you're being looked at and listened to by a lot of people. Hence the reason why you've been all over this planet. So thanks. Yeah. You know, you sound like my brother. He just slapped me, said, you know, people are actually listening to you. You gotta be aware of that. And it's like <laughs> it's a trip. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> take a deep breath and know that I always say, not for you, but through you, for all of those that are listening. That takes a little pressure off right off the start. You're doing this for the benefit of others, I'm sure. So with that said, let's dive right in. We got a few things we want to cover. I wanted to ask you before we got started uh, about your ordeal in Australia, if you'd be willing to share it with the journeyers. And you said kindly, yes, I'm going to ask that you maybe give an abbreviated version. But uh, why don't we get right into that? You went there to speak. We're not going to talk about that. But we're going to talk about something quite unexpected that happened to you. Take it away, Barry. Let the journeyers know what happened. Well, um, 
I went there actually early December, uh, about December 6th it was. And I went there um, early actually to, uh, I did go to speak, but I went there early to um, see my partner. Comes and sees me quite frequently, frequently where I live. So I went early for that. And when I actually had got off the plane, I was not feeling well. And I've been feeling well, you know, before I got on a couple of days and I thought I was all right. You know, I'd even uh, seen the doctor that said I was fine. Thought it was maybe irritable bowel syndrome or something from food poisoning. So I got on this plane, but when I get off the plane to Melbourne, um, I'm feeling much worse to the point of where my uh, partner come up saying, you know, crying, saying, you look terrible. And I wind up going to the hospital and I had um, divertilocus, okay, and my blood had went septic hmm. is what happened. So I was in the hospital within probably 12 hours of being there. Um, as they said, uh, when I, they actually looked at me and said, we're going to put you in theater, you know, that means surgery. It's not the popcorn and, and pop that I'm used to in America <laughs> anyway, but <laughs> it was surgery. And what ones happening in surgery is, um, I was in my blood had went septic. So I was in the first operation was eight hours. I had to be left open night and disinfected and then sealed up the following day in a six and a half hour operation. Um, so that was excruciating as you might imagine, but I'll tell you. My life was saved. They have an excellent medical system there. They saved my life, and I have recovered very well. Um, what's interesting about this paranormal-wise is when I get there, um, my uh, partner is saying, after a while, she tells me that she sees my mother, comes in through the window, and is standing by my left shoulder. <laughs> and uh, she's somewhat hesitant to tell me about that stuff, but she did. And then during that night, I wound up getting these horrible hiccups. It was leading to vomiting, actually, uh, horribly. And she wakes up maybe about 3 a.m. I was trying to hide this. And she's like, did you hear that? I was like, what? A woman's voice saying, if I got you to the hospital, the emergency room, you'll be all right. So that's what wound up happening, and my life got saved. I wound up having the best surgeon in like all of australia and what i found out when i got back home my doctors here had told me the best in the world my goodness so it's a definite paranormal event that's that kind of goes with that in terms of i know my mother helped save me yes and had help from the other side along with angelic forces because i tried to reschedule my flight there the day before and they weren't able to do it so and it turns out the uh surgeon told me i was about 12 hours from dying so had i not have went there I probably would have perished. Isn't that's, that something? That, that's kind of so. My mother did not just help me through that; she also helped me through the only other time I've been injured when I had a car accident ten years ago. We talked about already, and uh, she saw me through that also, and then she saw me through this deal. So, I think that kind of brings a unique perspective to it. It most and, uh, certainly does because it was it was just before the, the 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 pandemic era we're going through now. So, yeah, days before it seemed. Isn't so. that something? So. Uh, do you feel that the, the, the it sounds like that your your mother's presence was both uh, came in through the window? Your partner said so she was sort of behind on, behind your shoulder, behind you, uh, get, sending message. But that was also her voice that your partner heard. So it seems like the partner that's that's located in Melbourne acted as a conduit or catalyst that your mother could work through to get to you. Oh, very much so, you know, because I, I, I had even I'd even try to blame what happened on me. Like maybe, you know, it could be diet related or something like that. And it turns out it's a genetic thing. 
you know, that runs on my mother's side, actually part of the reason that she is deceased is part of what took her. So it's, you know, so in some ways it's like when these genetic things pop up on you, it's like, wow. But I had that, that, that comfort of at least knowing that I was being seen, I think from the other side, so much goes mm-hmm. on that's invisible that we don't see. Let's you know? talk about that for a little bit. So much goes on sure. that we don't see, and I could not concur more. And I happen to also think this might be a good segue for down the line, Barry, that this time I've been saying, and I'll continue to say, this time that we're going through is particularly metaphysically potent, and therefore the veil that we've always talked about that separates the 3D from everything else may be at its thinnest, hence the reason why. And I mean, I know uh, people purportedly are talking about uh, communication with the other side all the time, but could it be happening more now, you think? Yes, I believe so, definitely. And in some ways, it seems like the stress of the whole situation in the world right now is bringing the dimensions closer also. And, you know, if I throw something in, I'll just say everyone be very aware that you've got part of this invisibility we're talking about are these dark forces that are attacking people, especially people like the beautiful audience you have that are protected, that know how to protect themselves. So they're doing things, they're straining your shields from various aspects, financially, and especially through uh, people. And what it does is it creates these little cracks in your shields. And that allows their triggers, you to be susceptible to their triggers. Then they trigger the past emotion that are stored in our organs. We go through something traumatic, we store that cellular-wise in our organs. They start bringing that to the surface through triggers. And eventually, when they get done feeding on you, that can affect your health and kill you. So it's just something for everyone to be aware of during this time, because right now I'm seeing so much triggering going on of people due to the situation, the stress of the world right now. So that's good advice. And I agree with you. And I feel that it could be we just could still be at the tip of the iceberg. I say we're at this point, we're in the iceberg, but we're still at at the tip of it. So well, let's stay on this. Because, look, I've been very topical. I, how can you not be with all that's going on right now? And, and as my audience knows, I've been trying to approach this more from a metaphysical um, and organic uh, perspective versus a 3D. And yet you can't trade one for the other. The two seem diametrically opposed, but they're actually in a very strange way working in tandem. I say madness and magic are coexisting. Altruism and ugly are coexisting. And all, both in a heightened state. Mm-hmm. So, yes. let's maybe go from that to this. I, I, I'm going to take this out of order. I'm looking at a few notes here, but I think we should stay on this for a bit. I asked okay. you offline, you're known as an experiencer, a contactee, an abductee, if you will. Uh, the two, the, the three aren't mutual, mutually exclusive. Do you feel, Barry, that the contact phenomenon or non-human intelligence may be connected in some way to what's going on right now? And if so, how? You know, taking... I believe for a long time there has been a war going on between humanity and microorganisms, space organisms. Okay? And when I say that, we've had things like atomic bombs detonated in space, you know what they might possibly do dimensionally, what that might rip. You also have things like Project uh, Stardust, where they were dumping, grabbing uh, dust and dropping it back to Earth and testing actually what was in there. You have things like that that kind of would mean war. 
for any type of a microorganism that is aware on the collective conscious level. And you have space organisms like that. And if you like go to any continent here and you swipe up a thousand people or detonate it, you're going to have a lot of war. That's war. And so when we see some of these meteorites coming in, I think these microorganisms are coming in on those. And some of the effects we see from that are things that like prion diseases, such as uh, mad cow disease, mad deer disease, that red rain that was occasionally popping up quite a bit with that type of weird algae in it. You've got things like that that I think are coming as these microorganisms and attacking humanity. And on the backside of that, as we discuss dark forces, I believe you have dark forces that are back engineering these or even just legitimate microbiology uh, firms that are doing this. But it only takes one person to, for there to be an accident to let something like this out. I believe it's been attempted for a long time. We've got um, the other, I don't want to mention any actually names, the the E the E uh, virus that came out of Africa that was really bad. Uh, also, you've got uh, several others that I think that they wanted to be more um, airborne, actually, as opposed to what we're dealing with right now. It's not quite airborne. It's not in aerosol, aerosol form. But I think that was always the, the, the promotion for that. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it's so odd because when I try to I read a lot of material, but like one material, uh, the Uranta book that I have some issues mm-hmm. with, mm-hmm. But something that it says when it talks about, quote unquote, the Lucifer rebellion, and they talk about Lucifer and Satan, and they say that Lucifer is in a prison that is uh, near galactic center. So he's far away, but Satan actually roams this uh, galaxy especially, and this solar system comes to Earth frequently. Now, when taking that and cross-referencing that was something I heard Ed Dames talk about with Art Bell years ago. He talked about remote viewing Satan. And he said that he was they weren't able to see Lucifer. He was too far away. But they had seen Satan coming here to Earth, which looked like actually a light being. Gotta remember this would be a light being, regardless if it's fallen or not, okay, or or negative vibration, it's a light being. And it's they saw it moving around an industrial complex of some type here. Coming to and from there. See, that's just little things like that. I'm not saying that's 100% true, but it leaves you to think when thinking about dark forces back engineering something that would be space microorganisms. And to flip this real quick, I don't want to go too far on this, but as far as something I think that can combat this when dealing with the uh, contact phenomenon mm-hmm. is, um, you know, I was watching a Nova several weeks ago. I even did a video about this, and they were actually do- getting gamers to try to put together the molecules for a vaccine. And they're having some, I guess they're having some type of success with it. It's on a Nova probably about three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So that's one aspect, but why not start pulling together a lot of the contactees and the experiencers, the real ones? I know it's hard because you've got so much that are attracted to this, this field, but we've got to kind of bridge that gap between ufology, contactees, experiencers, and science. It has to be crossed right now, and that that's important. So I think maybe people, we have experiencers that are getting downloads about vaccine. Why not talk about it? Why not investigate that? Mm-hmm. You know, get, as, as, as my old man always used to say, uh, you got to play to win. <laughs> got to play to win. And you've got to be, I like to say, 
we do have skin in the game, or at least we're invited to have skin in the game. So let's get in the game and uh, move those chess pieces around to our benefit. So that's that. That wow. And, just, and if you look at how blo- how gaming is blocking young contactees, young psychics, young mediums, that gaming is blocking that to a great degree. So that could be turned to use something beneficial. How many of them could actually assemble molecule and vaccine molecules without knowing what they're doing? I think it's a fascinating concept and why not act on explore it, it at least yeah no <laughs> don't apologize this is an area i had not planned on going down but i think it's a very i think it's poignant what you're saying here Thank you. um let's let's switch gears all of this is connected of course uh i want to get into the organic nature of extraterrestrial contact and the phenomenon you said something very interesting that uh, in discussing this from an organic perspective, there's a symbiotic relationship. I've always said there's a symbiotic relationship between us and NHI, non-human intelligence, that I think may be happening. And it sounds like you're kind of on that path as well. Talk about that for a bit. You know, it origins with my experiences in terms of um, mine were physical, uh, the ones I talk about anyway. And uh, when the first one that happened when I was an adult onset experience I got a chance to touch the walls and touch things in there. And the walls, you know, were not like what we call them around here, uh, toadstools. They were hard. It seemed like that, but it was a harder consistency. So, you know, I start, you know, throwing out questions. They start downloading the information, too. So it comes down to this compound, what they said this ship actually was. You've got like a four-way compound. First, you've got minerals, uh, metals that are mined from planets that are devoid of Van Allen belts and devoid of atmospheres, some of them, or some type of a agreement where they're getting metals from there because those metals are impacted by solar radiation at a, at a rate that we don't know on Earth, okay? So very resistant. That takes us into metamaterials. And then they're taking some type of a quasi-crystal compound, grown crystals, they're mixing that together with uh, DNA from the crew, and then the main thing, and what I think we should emphasize a lot here, is there's a fungus component, too, that they're taking this, and then this is grown over a wormhole in space. So that gives a definite organic component to the craft, and also how a lot of the, a lot of, a lot of the crew are symbiotically connected to the craft in terms of not just pilots, some of their kundalini prana is running the craft as well the craft runs on life energy a lot of times you see a uso hovering over over water or some contactees even say i saw one of this this ship was hovering over my pool a lot of times they're sucking the life energy out of the water the orgone prana whatever you want to call it from the water and then they take that and process it and release it around anti-gravity field around the ship itself for a frequency jump. Anyway, um, so uh, but so ahead. I just want to be clear. So when you use the term symbiotic, you're I was using it somewhat differently. Although I think it applies, you're talking about a symbiosis between the craft and those that are operating the craft, or uh, how can I say a symbiosis that's taking place between. NHI, including the craft and other elements on terra firma, even. Exactly. Beam. Boom. You, you hit it. You hit it. You took it out of my mouth. Sorry. If we finished? I, I don't want to No, no. You. I just want to. Uh, yeah. Okay. You, you know, taking that and taking what the craft is actually designed, what I just described to you, and uh, taking that, what one is um, uh, the relation, symbiotic relation that this craft 
would have with our planet. And in that way, look at the way you see mushrooms. If you think of it like a Star Trek fans, if you're like me, uh, Utopia Panisha, where the ships are made, a shipyard would actually be the way I just described to you, would be almost like a mushroom patch. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's interesting. I've been saying this for years, knowing it longer than that. But right now, check out what NASA is doing. They're saying they're going to use a type of a fungus, mushrooms, to build habitations on Mars and the moon. And also, they've been using a type of mushroom fungus for some time to uh, uh, actually uh, resupport uh, infrastructure, a bridge and roads. So that that happened recently. I'm talking about this a long time, just so people want to think that I'm off my rocker. Anyway, <laughs> you're not off your so rocker. It's it's nice to have science that backs up the experiences. I've been criticized that you always like science behind it. Well, yes, it gives a good base foundation because some of this stuff is so weird that I experienced, I can't even explain it. It was hard to get even the designs for uh, written or the, uh, the it's illustrations done for it to convey the, the concepts. Anyway, so I'm um, sorry, I'm getting off. Going back to the fungus component and how actually fungus and mushrooms interact with our planet. You see them growing all over trees all the time. So that these ships are using the tree system of our planet for the natural internet system. And if you want to take it further than that, getting away from some of the aspects of the inner earth, the hollow earth, the, the, the Admiral Bird thing, let's get a little away from that more to re- reality and what science is showing. Right now, science is talking about something called the deep biosphere. And this is what Linda Moulton House seemed to take a real interest when I was on this panel with her at the expo. She started leaning over, I have questions for you. But anyway, the deep biosphere contains it's like an ocean between the mantle and the, and the core but it contains 99 95 to 99% of earth's undiscovered bacteria hmm. so if you're dealing with an organic craft a way to actually communicate with our our planet and not to mention the amount of healing bacteria that might be in that deep biosphere it really expands our parameters for contact Absolutely. and for what's really going on with this planet, especially organically. <clears throat> Something just came to mind, and I don't know if this would be relevant, although it could be. When I say monatomic gold and craft, what is what what comes up for you? Have you looked into that the role that mon- monatomic gold may be playing also in powering the craft? I'm thinking of someone that I spoke to about this. Again, an organic substance, yes, monatomic gold. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of more into the new metamaterials, but I will say this, the light, the light that actually is generated by the engines I've seen, it's this thick, almost golden looking light. And these beings called it to me, A-G-L-E is what I call it, angelic golden liquid energy. It's some way that they're pulling this life energy out of water, out of the crew, out of whatever, and they're processing it and polarizing it into this light that goes up the craft. Okay, and I've seen I've seen actually in a physical experience where I'm getting sick from this thing called physical uh, temporal aphasia Mm -hmm. because the inside and outside the ship are not in the same dimension for our third bodies. It's rough. Okay, and I know when as a kid, I wonder why I didn't like merry-go-rounds. I know why now it feels like that even a little worse. Mm -hmm. Um, So so that uh, but I saw individuals like near this engine touching the light, but they're in like dream body. I can see through them. Okay, you know why? So that means they're not suffering from temporal aphasia like me, Mister. I I need to have physical experiences. 
I had had them. I wanted to have more because I thought I could, <laughs> I thought I could grab some technology or something to prove. You know, it didn't work like that. But anyway, <laughs> it made it a lot easier. But um, people touching this light, okay, they report a lot of contactees' experiences. Report when they touch the light of the engine, it turns into a wormhole, and they have access to the akashic records. Mm. That's because, like I told you, the ship itself is grown over a wormhole. So that means the engine itself is temporally displaced. And that has to do with these black boxes. I've seen black boxes on these ships. And sometimes they'll be at an angle and you look at the black box, I start feeling even more sick. It's because that's got something to do with that anti-gravity. Where's the inclination to touch these things? That's something else. I, I, I'm assuming when you're saying people are touching this golden light that, that powers the craft, why are they touching it? Are they told to? Do they feel like they need to be in the black box? Um, you know, uh, somebody, uh, somebody, you know, I saw in that crap, but I won't mention their name, but, uh, I, I think it's more that they have the freedom to do it and the curiosity and they might, you know, be told to, I, I don't know. For me, I was that type of kid. We went on a field trip, man. I was touching everything. I was sure. asking tons of questions. Yeah. I was one of those kids, you know? So when uh, in these experiences, they felt a lot like that to me except for the sickness, but I'm not being assaulted or anything. So I want to touch and try to get as much information from the environment than I can. I know why now, because when you are actually done with the experience and you get away from event horizon, the retention of memory is hard for these events because it's on such a different frequency, mm -hmm. such a different vibration than what we're normally on. So, so did that, did that answer your question? Did I just get all weird? No, not, <laughs> no, not at all. It did. I'm just, I'm again, trying to imagine this. Uh, and I do want you to tell me offline. We don't want to out anybody. So tell me offline who I know that you saw in the craft. We've talked about that before. See, seeing recognizable faces on these craft. Uh, it, maybe we can even touch on that. Seeing people that you know on the craft. But then when you come back to this dimension in waking life, well, you're physically taken, but in three in 3D reality, <clears throat> you will see the person and they'll have no recollection you will. <laughs> you know, for me, it was the first experience that I call adult onset experiences. The engine I just described. Uh, first, I'm down by this engine and I can see these like kind of people, but they're see through touching this light. I wanted to go up there. Suddenly, I'm kind of up there when I see this corridor. It's very odd, getting very sick. But there's a group of people there, okay? About seven people, and one of them is touching this light, and the others look like they're waiting their, their turn. But I can kind of see through them. Now, forwarding this years, over a decade and something, uh, my father was contracting with this uh, air company, and there was an engineer pilot that worked there that was always talking about UFOs and had pictures. He was taking the UFOs and my father tells him, well, you know, you're weird like my son. So you probably need to talk to him. And this guy just starts calling me all the time. <laughs> he wouldn't go away. I try to tell him what he said, you know, I don't, I don't really know nothing about that. And he wouldn't buy it. Next thing I know, I had to actually run into him when I went down to the office to give something to my father. When I see this gentleman, he's one of the individuals waiting to touch that light. I recognized him you immediately. You saw him on the craft. Years and years earlier. Now, here's what's fascinating. He is someone that has a memory of that experience, not seeing me, but he knows, he remembers touching the light. He remembers the huge black box that this light went up the up this middle of this craft, and at the top of it is this huge black box. 
he remembers that. So he can remember the experience as the person that I'll tell you about later cannot. But I saw them there also. And one other person in my life that came in there. So for me, that's the one time that I saw someone on board that it crossed over. The only other time I actually saw like people on board a craft, it wasn't a craft, it was this like mystery school is what I call it when I was a kid. I'd wake up at night, not at home, in this like school, this room where there was this table and you had a, uh, a, a bowl of water, a feather, a bowl of water, then like these metal bowl, balls. And you had to move the feather with your mind was the first task. Then to try to stir the water with your mind psychokinetically. Mm-hmm. And the third thing was to actually levitate the balls. The balls were hard, though. They were hard to get stable to, like, circle, right, like they're supposed to. And to me, they kind of look like the little metal balls uh, Jeff Bridges used on Starman. Remember mm-hmm. that? I can see yeah, that. Yeah, like... <laughs> it kind of looked like that to me. But um, in another room there, when I woke up, I'm in the school, it's a room like that, but they're like students there. Other kids sitting there. I've been asked, they look like hybrids. No, they look like normal people, like from my day school when I was a kid. But I'm being told by this teacher that I can never see, but they're in my mind, asking me to levitate the balls on the table for them. And I said, no, because when I got to school in the day, I couldn't even get my pencil to stop rolling down the thing. I was trying everything. So to me, it didn't work anywhere but over there. So why start demonstrating it to anyone? So I don't remember ever being in that school after that. Right. And experience took another route after that. So that's another, that's another discussion, this idea of what PMH Atwater has referred to as night school. Uh, I've heard a couple of shows. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think this is this is something that's been talked about quite. As a matter of fact, Whitley Strieber, who was on my new show, Midnight in the Desert, uh, last Friday, talked about uh, speaking to a great master in that state. And that's that's another story for another time. But this idea. But, that, I just want to say, I want to say congratulations for that. I think it's really cool that that's a gig you, you're you're doing. Well, I'm I really do. humbled, humbled beyond measure. Everyone can't tell you how uh, how lucky I feel so thank you very much let's I'm look thank you really thank you uh, oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. looking at the clock we only have about 10 more minutes we're going real th- oh. we can go oh. another 15 or so let's go another 15 or so because I have a feeling everyone's really tuned in and zoned into what you're talking about I want to ask you again I've been just really focusing Barry on this period in fact I was counting we're going into four months of this quote unquote new reality. I don't know what else to call it. This it relatively there is nothing new under the sun. Anthony Peake said there's a deja vu <laughs> aspect to this. But that being said, for the sake of argument, I'm going to call it that. Do you feel in your humble opinion, that contact experiences, including abductions, they, they, they can be abductions, they may not be considered abductions. But do you feel that they have ramped up during this time period? fallen off lateral where do you, what do you think is happening now i think the red wrapping up personally by a lot of people i try to communicate a bit with people but a lot of people that are having experiences that are increasing um i think the sightings of ships is increasing yes. as well that, the I ability believe. of people to be able to call them in for other people to see that's increasing but i think the caveat of that is that You've got uh, the demonic negative type of attacks are happening as well. It's very easy for tricksters 
and dark forces to pretend to be aliens mm-hmm. and to pretend to do the abduction. And we're so saturated with by the media with negative abductions, reptilians, greys, DARPA, all these things are saturated so much that it's very easy for a demonic force, a dark force to come in and use a holographic projection of abduction to steal your energy and torture you is basically what that is. I'm not saying that's all what's going on. There's some of both, and my heart goes out to anybody experience either. But just be aware that the dark forces are ramping their attack on people right now, especially those that are aware and protected. Mm-hmm. Well, if the veil, forget thinning, if the veil is just about gone, then everything, it, all bets are off, essentially. Everything is on the table. You know, this conjunction that occurred in January, I will continue to refer back to that, that that Saturn-Pluto conjunction, this also called archetypal conjunction that occurred. Uh, the hot spot of that was Uluru in Central Australia, where I was on January 12th, while you were in Melbourne. And uh, A number one, I've said this before, I tried to survey some of the more lay public, you know, people that worked at the resort that I was staying at in Uluru to see if they were A, aware of the conjunction. The answer was yes. People were flying in from all over to Uluru for this. Uh, and B, well, th- there wasn't a second question. What I got in feedback is there were some massive sightings uh, on January 11th and 12th at Uluru. Tons of craft all over the place. So this conjunction did something. Now, I've talked to Daryl Anka, Channel for Bashar, if you haven't seen that episode. I only a couple hundred thousand of you have already more. <laughs> it was a fantastic episode. But his contention is that where the conjunction didn't cause what's going on right now, it's still a part of the uh, the pattern, let's just say. Again, looking at this as a metaphysical event and long anticipated that we are in the middle of a transition point. Oftentimes it's bumpy. I dare say this time is bumpy. There's also discussion about the fact that maybe a portal opened up. A big portal. Now, portals, it said, micro as well as larger are opening up all the time. Linda Moulinow and I have talked about that a lot. Uh, What is your feeling about that in terms of portals opening up of which anything could come through, including what you're talking about? Two two things. Wow, that's that's heavy. Two things. One is, for me, the swarms of UFOs are starting to be seen. Swarms of ships. They normally happen around clouds. I think a lot of times we're seeing they look like to me nebulous and what they're demonstrating is maybe us turning into a type one civilization and making a type of a connection with galactic intelligences. I think that might be what part of what the UFO swarms we're seeing is. Number two would be the portals that are opening. I know there are micro ones that are unstable on this planet and I think there are ones that are stable and there are others that occur just between the magnetic field of the earth and the sun. They're called uh, electron diffuse areas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, just, t- just turning this a little bit concerning that, um, that is city ranch. Yes. I had done, I done a video with a gentleman I really wanted to meet named John Vavinko. Very cool. He, does, he runs remote viewing hemispheric, uh, remote viewing. Um, And when he described actually the portal that anybody that's been at that ranch sees this light in the mountain, a lot of people have debated it, but it's very unique and it's not people just flashing a light from the, from the mountain. But when you see that it's a portal, they say, but when John talked about this portal, he said from the other side, what you've got at a lot of these portals is 
thousands of entities trying to squeeze through mm-hmm. all at once. And it's like, you know, you and I trying to squeeze our head into a ketchup bottle together. It's not, <laughs> not going to work. You know? That's a heck of a metaphor. Or he analogy. Those, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but those that are actually able to squeeze through and come through, when they emerge in this dimension, they come out in collective consciousness state. Wow. In an orb type of a state. And taking that and turning that with t- other types of orb technology and the quantum hologram, I mean, that's fascinating. And when you're sitting there describing that, I found that very fascinating, you know, and dealing with pe- perhaps how these portals actually work. Because I do a little work sometimes in houses that need to be cleared a little or something, and you're seeing a lot of portals open up there, and there's normally two in every house. Not just one, there's like two now. Oh, I you believe know, the there can be now. numerous portals. Yeah. I feel that when, mm-hmm. when I renovated my home some going on 15 years ago, and we uh, uh-huh. did our upstairs bathroom, brought it down to the studs and did a fabulous spa bath, I took pictures of the construction. Now, you can argue, because there was a lot of dust, Could many orbs that are captured on film may in fact be dust particles, but I felt instinctively that... Um, a multitude of portals were opened up in that bathroom. That bathroom's a hot spot, I feel. And it's sad. God bless her, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who's now gone. We spoke about that. And she talked about that construction, oftentimes renovations, can trigger the opening of portals. What are your thoughts on that? Well, something else. Also, when taking the portals and um, also, so what's called the quantum hologram or the Mako, as Rudy Shields calls it, mm-hmm. which is a different black hole. But actually, the quantum hologram is like when you have something go through the portal, it creates a copy on the surface. And that or that's an organic component that's called the Mako that, hold, that holds that information. All right. So that but taking that and taking our bodies, they're attacking. They're trying to attach the quantum hologram to the individual molecules of our body. And what I've heard about, especially when we, you and I talked about black extraterrestrials before. Yes, that was our last video show. about another, another individual that had said something. And he had said that uh, he talked about a race of brothers that were related to the Zulus once they came here. But uh, that they actually are able to access each black hole to the individual atom. And that they can actually teleport themselves without technology in that way. And in that way, they've been indomitable to a degree. Mm-hmm. And I find that very, very interesting because I'm into something, a uh, hyperdimensional physics that's called uh, uh, in, hyperdimensional internal stargates, which are ways to use things like forgiveness, uh, sound, invocation, pranayama breath, all put together to actually achieve dimensional shift, to access your dream body, your astral body. These are things that have been done in the past, and I think need to be discovered more now. So we talk about things like melanin and things to access and stuff. There's all sorts of ways to expand our consciousness. Why not? This place is in trouble. Might as well. Absolutely. Listen, <laughs> just you stay just protected. Absolutely. Oh my God! You just opened. You just opened up a portal in my mind. <laughs> so I'm going to put you on the spot because we didn't talk about this previously. But would you be willing to talk about this off the record? I call it off the record because I call it my Patreon after show. I didn't plan on oh, doing cool. one with you, but something tells me. If you could spend 15, 20 minutes talking about that, because I know the journey is, we don't have time to go into it now. Otherwise, I would have brought that up. Can we take that to the after show once we finish? Yeah, or 15, yeah. People sure. would love that. People would love sure. it. Sorry, journeyers. We could have we gone into it more now, but I got I to gotta sign off. I'm going to do a spur of the moment after show. Cool. I hope this went well. I hope I just over talk you and talk you no, and go off. Are you, you couldn't do that. People love to hear. <laughs> yeah. for, listen, Barry. 
I'm you're the guest. You get to do the <laughs> do the talking. Don't worry, but it's been fabulous. Let's do that. Let's take this okay. let's take this over to the after show and let's hold that thought. Give if you could give the patron journeyers uh an idea about what you're talking about there, any tips that would help them uh during this this potent and poignant time that would be great so let's do that let's wind down on this for now i have a couple of announcements barry thank you you're a love you are just the balm diggity i love you thank you so much all right thank you don't go nowhere let me let me just close out for now juniors okay so we got a lot coming up we are going to go over to patreon and talk on the uh, after show for a bit about uh what barry just mentioned so i hope you will join us over there very easy. Patreon.com forward slash higher journeys. In the meantime, just a, a quick announcement, a couple of quick announcements. Conscious Commentary in the Garden. We did our second live show, uh, Conscious Commentary Live, last week, and it was great. And everybody that was on in the chat was wonderful. We will be doing that in two weeks, just to confuse you. This week will be Conscious Commentary in the Garden. We're alternating weeks. So we're doing uh, Conscious Commentary in the Garden every other week, and then the alternate weeks will be live. In any case, the conversation will be vibrant, as is my garden becoming vibrant. And as always, I want to make sure that I'm covering the topics that interest you most. This week, we're going to be talking about transformation is underway. What have we been talking about here? With all the apparent ugly, there's there's beauty too. And in the midst of it all, I think we're evolving. I think we're in the process of evolution right now. So that's what we'll be talking about uh, in Conscious Commentary in the Garden. Transformation is underway. Then, speaking of midnight in the desert, check it out, Barry. My guest this week, I think you know both of them or at least know of them. We're going to have Billy Carson on. We're going to have Billy Carson on for, the, I believe, the first hour. And then Cynthia Sue Larson will be talking about the power of breath. This is all about transformation. I know Billy just did a big... Uh, summit I think you would call it with the with how to use breath and breath work and then Cynthia is going to be talking about Mandela effects Mandela effects uh, we just had both of them on this show but you know we're going to take this over to midnight in the desert get a little deeper and talk about that so that's coming up on Friday folks uh, let's see gotta get the time straight 9 p.m. Pacific 12 midnight Eastern etc so join me there Last but not least, if you enjoyed what you just heard and you want more of that, I would so appreciate it if you would subscribe. Sub, did I just say scribe? Subscribe. <laughs> subscribe. Spaghetti. I'm a little silly today. It's been a long week from last week. Hit that notification bell once you subscribe. I would so appreciate it. YouTube would appreciate it. We want to get the word out on conversations like that, uh, like this and that. So. If you hit that notification bell, once you subscribe, that would be great. Like the video if you had have liked it. I'm getting a little tongue-tied today. I, th- I think I'm burnt out from all these shows. So please forgive me. And it's Mercury Retrograde. What do you want? All right, <laughs> Barry, you're a love. And I love your laugh, by the way. Your laugh is oh, infectious. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. I mean, this has been really nice. It's thank always you. a pleasure and an honor to have your brilliance in the likes of our company. So thank you. All right, journeyers, we'll talk to you soon. Barry, don't go anywhere. We will see you uh, next for Conscious Commentary in the Garden. God bless. Take care. <laughs>